So growing up, my mom had a poster in the kitchen um, and that poster was a quote from Helen Keller. It was, life is either a daring adventure or nothing, Helen Keller. And I looked at that poster every day for 10 years. And I'll tell you, you ask my kids and they will quote that to you because I, it had a very big impact on me. Welcome to another episode of The Great Business Minds, the definitive show of the business of digital infrastructure. I'm your host, Sean Max Lima, and I use my experience as a digital infrastructure journalist to dig deep into business issues, but also get to know those who build our digital worlds. At Great Business Minds, we would like to thank our sponsor for this year. GBM is now brought to you by Prescott & Co., a leading award-winning City of London law firm internationally recognized for its expertise in the digital infrastructure industry, as well as the telecoms and tech sector work more broadly. Whatever your legal or regulatory needs are, including outer space, Prescott & Co. can support you, so do feel free to reach out to them at www.prescott.com. And this week, we are joined by an entrepreneurial and competitive international leader focused on energetically growing businesses and building diverse, high-performing teams. Mark Smith, co-founded and serves as the Executive Chairman for Carbon Technologies since June 2022, and prior to this, he served as the Managing Director for the Asia-Pacific Region for Digital Bridge from 2018 to 2022. Before that, he held the position of Managing Director for Asia at Zeta Grids, and prior to those roles, Mark was the Managing Director for Cloud Services in Asia-Pacific at VMware, and he also held the position of Managing Director for Asia-Pacific for CenturyLink, formerly known as Savage. His earlier work experience includes serving as the President and Senior Company, com company Officer for Japan at Thomson Reuters from 2007 to 2010, and as the Head of Sales for Asia-Pacific from 2002 to 2007, and he was also the Global Head of Sales at eBridge from early 1999 to 2002. Prior to these roles, Mark held the position of General Manager at Bridge Information Systems and served, served as the Head of Sales for Asia at SunGuard from 95 to 97 and as a Major Account Manager at Knight Rider Financial from 91 to 95. He attended the University of Puget Sound where he obtained a Bachelor's Degree and in 1987 he also briefly studied Mandarin at Tunghai University. Additionally, in 1988-89, Mark studied Mandarin at Beijing Normal University. He joins us now from Tokyo, where he lives with his family. Mark, thank you so much for talking to us. It's a pleasure to have you on uh, GBM. Uh, I think, I mean, not only your, your history in the industry is quite interesting, but also what Carbon is doing and the future plans of what's coming up in 2024. It's, it's extremely exciting, um, and I think it's going to address a lot of markets demands in a very interesting region. Uh, but before we get into that, let's just talk about how you got into, into it all. Like, what, what's your story? Where did you come from? Uh, and how did you get uh, into bed with data centers? Yeah. Well, Joe, it's a pleasure to be here. I, I couldn't be more pleased. Um, well, it's uh, it's an opportunity to talk about myself. So who, <clears throat> who doesn't like to do that? Um, <laughs> uh, I uh, just very quick, I'm originally from Seattle. Uh, moved to Asia after college, after studying Chinese and this, that, and the other, moved to Asia and have, have been here since 1990 uh, in Asia. And uh, a bulk of that was in financial information, eventually became Reuters uh, in that whole kind of, it's, it's in, Reuters is really kind of interesting in the sense that it's, it's the intersection, intersection of, of finance and technology. And, it, and there's a heavy reliance on technology, actually. And, uh, and I, in doing so, I became very interested in technology. And we, 
we launched a service in Japan when I was running Japan um, that was basically, originally it was an on-prem software application that we offered banks. And we started offering it as a service. It was a hosted uh, software solution and we used Savis. You may know that name, Savis, uh, to manage the service. And I got to know well the CEO of Savis at the time and uh, we sold that thing like hotcakes. It was incredible, uh, the take up. Uh, in Japan, and they couldn't understand it. And uh, so I really got to know them well. I hit a bit of a crossroads, and it became an opportunity for me to jump across and lead the software, the, the excuse me, the Savis business in Asia. Um, and that's really, that's 2010 and really kind of the early days for both managed hosting, cloud, and data center services, which Savis was doing. Um, and I saw a real opportunity to uh, punch much, much harder than they were, I guess, at the time in Asia. And uh, mm. we we had a terrific time. Uh, since then, sold the business to CenturyLink. Uh, I then left, but I'll just kind of carry on on the Savis business. It became CenturyLink. CenturyLink Link then sold it to Sixtera, who you will know. Mm. So it's the yep. same business. It's the same business. Uh, and so these things are kind of funny how, how they go in circles. And at the time, when I was running the Savis uh, CenturyLink business in Asia, we were globally uh, Digital Realty's largest customer at the time. And again, everything kind of goes full circle. And uh, I'm just thinking uh, I think it's a small world. <laughs> it's a small world. And uh, and uh, I I uh, then I worked at VMware for for a, a, a period of time running their cloud services business and eventually ended up running Digital Realty's business in Asia Pacific. Um, uh, never did the thought occur to me that that was a possibility. But it's interesting because, you know, looking from the outside, I saw Digital Realty as this incredible global platform that was a bit quiet uh, in Asia Pacific and saw a real opportunity uh, in Asia. And sure enough, uh, and just had a terrific time at Digital Realty, uh, working with the team, building the team, and uh, in really growing the business. And so, and I left Digital Realty uh, June last year in order to start Carbon with my partner, Robert Davidson. So a little bit of a long story, but gives you a bit of a feel yeah. um, for for what I've been up to. No, it's very interesting because there's a, there's a conductor line to it all. Um, and you're yeah. really at the inception of, of the industry in Asia. Um, yeah. And I think we're saying like you start punching above a lot of people are doing um i mean you just saw the opportunity especially in, i mean in in the, in the japanese market i'm sure technology uh, i don't know how it was back then but i can't imagine it wasn't the hardest thing to sell because it's a very it's a very advanced um culture around the the the, the technology adoption um so that's that is extremely interesting but uh, i didn't know actually about reuters um in, yeah. in your in your path so that, that's that's interesting yeah yep that's right and and really great fun and uh have enjoyed every day um yeah. So, yeah, and uh, and what you said about digital realty actually, there, there was something as on on the journey side, we did see that a little bit, um, in the early days because uh, it, it was hard. And it wasn't just digital realty; uh, it was also Equinixes and the other guys around the world. It was mm -hmm. there wasn't so much willingness to to talk and show things. Uh, and then I think eventually, as the market grew, people were like, oh, actually, we need to go out and show more uh, what we do and engage more with the community and the the outside communities as well, especially the media community. Um, so that's that's very interesting. But I was going to ask as well because I mean, a career like this, 
it's not built from a night today and you need some some guidance some mentorship especially in the very early days i was going to ask mm -hmm. who's been like a life inspiration to you who's who's that sort of mentor that you've had um either at the beginning or constantly who's who's that person <laughs> that has helped you be who you who you are uh yeah. even in, in style yeah yeah no it's so there's many it's it's very difficult to point to one and i've been helped <laughs> and supported uh, by so many people along the way. It's incredible, um, really. Uh, but, you know, um, the frank answer and people will think, ah, I'm just saying it, but actually, you know, my partner, my spouse is uh, by far uh, my biggest supporter. And uh, many of the things that that I've been able to do professionally, I could not have done without her support, uh, really. And, and so yeah. let's start with that. Um, and, uh, and I think with many people with terrific spouses, you know, she's my primary source of, uh, of wisdom, if you will. Uh, now that said on the professional side, uh, I worked with a guy at Reuters. In fact, his name was Mark Diwale. And again, very small world. And he was phenomenal. He was the, he was the best leader, best manager I ever worked with. And, uh, he ran Reuters Asia Pacific and I was on his executive team and he took a group of individuals, uh, of various capabilities called it call it and he turned and he created a culture of high performance and success and he turned us into just an incredible high performing team and uh and I learned so much in terms of how he did that um and I and I seriously use what I learned uh every day um it's I, I give an example you know some people think, that people are replaceable and it, you know, and you just kind of move on. I, I, I take very much the opposite view. Uh, I think it's all about the people and that's really how you make a difference and how you drive uh, and, and how you drive alpha, so to speak, you know, it, it is all about the people and, uh, and sure you do go through change and whatnot. But my example is, uh, I'll give you a U.S. sports example. Phil Jackson was the the coach of the uh, Chicago Bulls, and they won five national championships. And you say, well, yeah, he had a great team, you know, Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan and 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 uh, and and many others, but all kinds of personalities, and it's incredible what he achieved. But then, you know what he did? He moved to Los Angeles, whole new team, and he won five more championships with a whole new Shaq O'Neal, et cetera, incredible talent, but don't tell me that he doesn't, didn't make a difference in being able to achieve, you know, 10 titles. So, um, yeah, so, so there you go. So Mark was uh, a phenomenal mentor to me. And uh, interestingly, after he left Reuters, he joined Iron Mountain, who you'll know, uh, mm -hmm. running international at uh, Iron Mountain. He's now retired. But uh, but he worked very closely with Mark Kidd and the uh, management team there as they built out the uh, the early days of the data center business. So yeah. another small world. Yeah, we, we, we know Mark Kidd very well. And it, it is, again, a very small world. Uh, I, I like what you said about your, your partner as well, because uh, we have a saying back home, which is behind a great man, there's even an even greater woman. Um, right. Always to, 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 to be there. So that's sure. I think that's kind of it, it is true. Yeah. Um, and then, yes, what you said about it's all about the people. It is all about the people. If the team doesn't yeah. function, the business is not yeah. going to succeed. Um, yeah. I think I think that's kind of crystal clear. Um, then I also feel so going throughout all these these steps in the career and building things over the years, 
there will always be hard conversations around negotiating what's good and what's bad. So one question I always like to ask people is what is non-negotiable to you when it comes yeah. to business? What's the one thing? So like, you know what, I'm not part of these projects if this yeah. is the way it's going to be. Yeah. Uh, you know, so at the risk of sounding trite, but it's, it's, it's honesty. Uh, I believe in a high trust environment. I think one of the critical components of a high performing team is, is trust. And, uh, and so you you must you must be honest. And sometimes delivering uh, bad news is really hard. And sometimes you know obviously human nature is to avoid that. Uh, but I think it's really important. Even hard news uh, needs to be delivered and uh, in an honest and authentic way. And uh, you know I, Warren Buffett has a saying that you know you spend decades uh, developing your reputation and you lose it in minutes. Um, and I think that's very true. So um, yeah, honesty. I, I I fully agree with that. I mean, it takes you years to go up the ladder, but then it takes you five seconds to fall off. Um, yep. That is not That's a right. saying, we, we like a few sayings. <laughs> um, <laughs> but right. uh, I was going to say as well, because I think a part of growing professionally, it's also learning from, from mistakes and sometimes decisions no, they were not great. And we've all done them. So I, I, there's no one, everyone, had, throw the first stone if you haven't um, done something like that. I think that's the saying, and that's not a Portuguese one. I think that's a general one. Uh, I was going to ask you, when's been some time where something hasn't gone so well? Um, could be with a customer, could be with a, an investment, a decision. What's one time where something didn't go according to plan? And then how did you shift that? What did you learn from it? And how did you shift that into a positive? Because we do get quite a lot of younger people listening to this as well, um, and especially entrepreneurs and people starting companies. And I think it's important for them to understand that sometimes the negatives are more valuable than, than, yeah. the, than, than the conquests because you learn more from something that goes wrong. Um, so what's yeah. been like one of your experiences around that? Yeah. You know, I've got a couple of thoughts there. One is, um, you know, hiring is really a challenge. And when I have my first discussion with prospective new hires, I always say, look, this is a two-way discussion. Uh, yes, I'm interviewing you for to get a sense for a fit. But at the same time, you're interviewing me and and the organization to see if there's a fit as well. Because if it doesn't work in both directions, it's not going to work. And, and hiring is super difficult. And uh, I think anybody that uh, thinks that they hire 100% perfectly all the time is kind of kidding themselves. Uh, it's kind of 30%, 33% is excellent, 33% is good, okay. and 33% don't quite work out, you know? And uh, so my difficult one, I would say is, uh, you know, I'm thinking of one particular example. It's just kind of a wrong hire. And I take full responsibility for that. The It wasn't the individual's fault. And uh, there's this idea of uh, 333. Three days in, are you going to spend three months in? And three months in, are you going to spend three years? You know, you kind of have, you assess. And at the three-month mark, it be, kind of became clear that, uh, that this just wasn't working. And uh, sitting down, and as I talked about, having, frankly, these difficult conversations, not easy, but uh, and certainly didn't didn't push out the door, but just kind of put the information on the on the table, if you will, to talk about kind of where we were, and uh, and let the decisions be made. And uh, you know that's quite that's quite tough. And uh, but I think it's important to do and uh, be upfront and to make these difficult decisions early, if at all mm -hmm. possible. So um, yeah, there you go. Yeah. And I could think of one example, but I've done. Frankly, I've you know it's, it's it's unfortunately it's not a single event hmm. no i mean i guess it comes down to honest transparency um yeah. and at the end of the day we're all human beings um, yes. so it's it's best sometimes to do that but and then also what you said about delivering the bad news 
I think yeah. that's very important. You don't want to do kind of a Cheryl Sandberg approach yeah. where if you go into their room, you know you're going to get fired. Yeah. <laughs> it's right. it's also not how you want to deliver the bad news. No. Um, right. But yeah. and then I I guess you've kind of maybe also answered my next question because my next question would be around how do you stay adaptable to to new perspectives and how you create a culture uh, yeah. of belonging, innovation. Um, how do you yeah. get the team involved? And I think so. Trust, transparency, honesty. Um, th yeah. Those three key, three words are very very important. But is there anything else? Um, that you kind of put into practice, especially when building teams. I mean, especially right now you're building a startup again. So what's, yeah. what's the things that really make the team shine through this yeah. and makes you also evolve uh, with, yeah. their, with themselves? Yeah, I think uh, so. Th this this word diversity has a lot of baggage, uh, I believe, you know, but uh, but I'll but I'll use the word anyway. Uh, but when I say diversity, I'm not talking about, you know, what yeah. oftentimes people initially think. I'm talking about diversity of experience and background. Yes, of thoughts. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, and you build a team with people with diverse backgrounds and gender and, 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 yes, cultures and everything else, but zeroing in on experiences and background and then the rest kind of falls in, I think is critical to, again, building high-performing teams. And, and in doing so, it allows you to take on board all kinds of new ideas because these people bring new perspectives and uh, and that's what it's all about. And frankly, that's one of the reasons I love living in Asia because it is such a, a large and diverse uh, region and it adds kind of another level of complexity to trying to get things done that I find super interesting and exciting. And uh, so, uh, so, so, so that would be my answer. And, and as part of that, one must be respectful and curious, you know, and I think I think curiosity is uh, is essential because uh, there's always more than one way to get something done, always. And, and I think actually what you just said really fits well with the Asian culture because uh, I, I think they value that more um, than um, than maybe Europe and the United States or North America um, around curiosity and, and and just being honest. And I don't know that is probably more interest in also being involved with new things. Um, done in Asia. I mean, we, we're organizing something in Asia um, yeah. for the end of this year, and uh, we, we see the, the cultural difference. Yeah, yeah. We, we see the cultural difference of how people talk, behave, um, the interest. They actually they pay attention to you when you go on a call. They're not looking at their phones. Um, yeah. They they actually listening and interacting and asking questions. Uh, so it's it's very different, and it's, it is quite exciting. It's a, it has its challenges, of course, uh, but uh, that also makes it more worth it. Um, yeah. So it's interesting. And what you said about diversity and and diversity of thoughts. Uh, I think it's it's the, the diversity of brains that's very, very important. It doesn't matter where the person is from. It's the diversity of thought um, yeah. that really can create a, a nice web of construction uh, for that's the right. new business. Uh, and then, right. so, because we are now, it's pretty much like the, the end of the first part, because the first part is kind of just to get to know you uh, yeah. and get to, to learn your journey. So my last question of the first part, and before we jump into yeah. the market itself, is yeah. what's been the best and worst advice you've ever received? Right. Uh, okay. Well, the worst was, um, I was, uh, I was in college and, uh, I was thinking about going to China for a year to study Chinese. This is 1988. So it's a while ago. I'm dating myself. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I spoke to a couple of professors that I had, uh, not my Chinese professor, but a couple of other ones and <clears throat> these older American guys. And they really tried to persuade me not to go. They said it would be terrible. I'd be living on dirt floors. I'd be this, that, and the other. And frankly, they scared the heck out of me. 
you know and, and but i went anyway but i went very fearful because they basically put that in me but it was just absolutely terrible advice and uh that year in china changed my life um and it was uh it was unbelievable um so so that would be the worst the best um uh, i don't know that's a good question um yeah can i pass on that one sorry uh, <laughs> yeah. this, this is yeah. the fun of asking this question because i mean sometimes i mean we can yeah. ask the most complicated yeah. technology <laughs> strategy yeah. question but then when it comes yeah. to these ones people do struggle yeah. and it's it's, it's yeah. fun to watch <laughs> i'm not gonna yeah. lie to you <laughs> we'll we'll, yeah. we'll come back we'll, yeah. we'll come back to it at the end um we'll, we'll give another half hour okay to i got i got it oh, i got yeah. it i got it i got it so um so when I was uh, starting out in college, uh, my father told me that I, I should look for ways to differentiate myself. Hmm. Uh, don't follow the crowd. Look, look at ways that you can step out of the crowd. And, uh, and my father was quite the entrepreneur, always kind of did lots of interesting things. And so when I went in there, virtually everybody in, the, in my college was studying Japanese. It was the 80s. It was booming. Everybody was studying Japanese. I was very keen on Asia. So I thought, okay, they just started Chinese. So I took Chinese and kind of the rest is history on that. The interesting thing, side note, is uh, I ended up marrying a, a wonderful Japanese lady. I've lived in Japan over 20 years. My kids are, you know, half Japanese and I studied Chinese. So <laughs> I you studied speak the Japanese? survival my kids would would argue i not, but uh but i get around yeah i survive in japanese but uh but i but i joke that i studied the wrong language given given how my life played out but uh but i think that that uh what my father said about uh working to differentiate yourself and not follow the crowd is something that uh you know stays with me yeah yeah I, I think that's that's probably one of the best advices we, we've had on this series, because um, it, it is true. If you're the same as everyone else, then you're just the same as everyone else. There's nothing new, different about you. Um, and, that, and that's not even just down to the person; it's down to the business. This is why businesses are successful or not, because you can go and launch a business. If you have a lot of money, you can go and launch a business and just copy and paste what someone else is doing, and then you'll either win or fail depending on how much money you got to to push it in front of people to buy it from you. Uh, and the trust that you can build by basically at that point um, yeah. or you just find something else and you become a very successful business so it, it applies both to the person and um, the business side so I think yeah it's differentiated don't follow the herd um, I think uh, I think we just got our headline there as well <laughs> um, okay. but uh, there, there we go see and you were afraid of you couldn't remember for anything <laughs> as a good advice <laughs> Um, yeah. but, uh, oh, but yeah. Mark, no, that, 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 that's great. I think now we will shift towards talking about the market itself and what was happening within the industry that we, that we yeah. cover and operate yeah. within. So my first question really is let's, let's paint the picture. Let's, so what are the biggest challenges, um, within data centers? And I guess leaning a little back, uh, leaning a little bit into now carbon as well, uh, around monitoring these facilities, what, what are the biggest challenges in the, in the industry today? Uh, and maybe more targeted towards Asia because uh, it's more of your focus, focus. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. I mean, there, there are quite, obviously quite a few challenges and we can discuss that um, uh, as we go uh, with regards to the, the overall data center industry. I mean, you know, the challenges of growth, uh, uh, attracting and, 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 and bringing in talent, uh, uh, 
power, accessing power and power constraints in a lot of markets, uh, or certainly, you know, the area around uh, connectivity and ensuring that you've got the right locations uh, with the right, you know, appropriate permits, et cetera. Um, and then, uh, of course, this tsunami, uh, this AI tsunami that's coming in terms of uh, new technology that's uh, uh, directly impacting uh, the data center industry around power densities and the like uh, is, I think, very significant. And environmentals, you know, uh, uh, really trying to reduce the impact on the environment, uh, not polluting, uh, that kind of thing, you know, getting getting really the industry uh, focused in the right direction on that. Another area of challenge, obviously, uh, on the finance side with the cost of capital going up, that's uh, clearly another area of challenge for uh, the industry. That said, you know, it's under it's on a platform of high growth, phenomenal growth, and we can talk about that more. But anyway, that's that's kind of a short list of some challenges. What I would also say, though, and uh, you know, I think I, I think it's time for the data center industry globally and in Asia to really transform and to go from kind of a two dimensional outlook, if you will, to a three dimensional outlook. And and what I mean by that is, you know, we our roots are very much in the real estate business. And sometimes people talk about, are we a real estate industry or are we technology? And my answer is yes, <laughs> it's both. Uh, our roots are very much in the real estate industry, heavy finance. Uh, but increasingly, uh, there is a very strong and important uh, technology, uh, digital services overlay uh, that I think cannot be denied um, and I think will change uh, the industry. Hmm. So, uh, you know, if you think about uh, some of the challenges within that, uh, a lot of how we manage data centers and communicate with our customers, the data center, the customers of data centers is very analog. It's very manual. It's, it's emails, it's uh, phone, it's, sometimes portals, and it's sometimes an API, but very few data center operators have a robust API they make available to their customers. And think about it from a customer point of view. We, we've spoken to a, a very large European pharmaceutical company, which has, they, they, they just in Europe, they use 10 different data center operators across 40 different sites that they have to manage so that's maybe some of them have APIs, maybe some of them have portals, which which they have to remember all the logins to, and many of them do not have anything in terms of engagement. And so what am I talking about here? Think about kind of uh, what happens in the data center. So one is just reporting, things like uh, environmentals, uh, things like tower usage, that kind of thing. You know, the 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 data center operators spend a lot of time creating manual reports, monthly manual reports. So they have that information within the data center from the building management systems, from the data center inf information management systems, but they literally cut and paste this information into a report manually and then deliver that to their customers monthly. It takes, it can take up to like 30% of their time monthly of pulling all this stuff together. And this is this is a requirement that the customers have, but it's just once a month. It doesn't even meet kind of their real need, if you will. Think in terms of invoice management. <clears throat> None, all of this is done man manually. So ensuring that it's accurate, 
that you've got the right kind of inventory, you're billing for the right amount, you're billing for the correct cross connects, the correct cancellations, et cetera. Mm. Uh, contested bills is a real issue. And data center operators and their customers spend a lot of time on that, working through what are the bills. So data center um, uh, invoice management, again, is another uh, really interesting area. Uh, order execution. So I want to, I want a physical cross connect, uh, and so I have to somehow notify the data center operator that I want that done. It becomes a project. It becomes a days long, weeks long, two weeks long project just for a physical cross connect, which actually should be minutes electronically. And by the way, when you do that electronically, you also have an audit trail of when you requested that cross connect and when it was delivered right? Which goes back to my invoice management point earlier. So, because manually, there's really no audit trail to speak of. Um, I just, a few more things. Physical security. You have an issue at your data center. You, you deploy, as a customer, you deploy an engineer. Whoops. That engineer's name is not on the list of being able to enter that data center on your behalf because that list is managed manually. And so keeping that list up, up to date is really a challenge. Now, keep in mind, don't forget this European pharmaceutical company that has 40 sites and 10 different data center vendors. So managing all of that, and of course you've got change in uh, your service engineers and whatnot. And so keeping that up to date is a real challenge. And guess what? When you have an outage or you have a real need to get into that data center, guess when that person's name isn't on the list? You know, um, cybersecurity. Um, you know, it's interesting. Customers are demanding this information, the, the building management system information, the DSIM information uh, from data center operators. They're demanding it. And in some cases, data center operators are allowing uh, customers direct access to those systems through the firewall into the other side. It creates a real uh, cybersecurity risk uh, for the data center operators. And this is the kind of thing that, frankly, isn't really talked about. Um, and so, uh, and yet it's happening because the need is there, but the data center operators are really, again, it goes kind of back to my real estate versus technology point, uh, very, very much kind of bedrock real estate, uh, kind of, and not, not, not the technology, uh, focus that I think is coming ESG information customers increasingly are requiring uh, ESG related information to understand their carbon, their pollution impact, if you will. And, uh, and this is something that uh, often the data centers operators are calculating on a manual basis, uh, because it's just not, it's not easily available to these customers. And, and it's, it's causing a lot of uh, headaches within the data center operator community. Um, and when I say manual, that also equals errors, and it also equals cost. You know, and so with ESG as well, you're seeing um, uh, uh, governments looking at kind of regulating the industry a bit. Uh, recently, uh, Germany came out with a with a new proposed uh, law in terms of uh, requiring data center operators in Germany to provide ESG related information. Now, how do they do that? Uh, at the moment, data centers are operated kind of as a black box. It's not transparent in terms of what's happening. And every data center operator calculates, for example, PUE differently. 
there's no standards in terms of what exactly that means. And so there's a lot of opportunity to improve uh, transparency and standards. Uh, you know what you know what they say, if, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And so having access to this information, I think, is critical in order to be able to proactively manage your environmental footprint as a customer. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I'm sorry, this is getting to be a bit of a laundry list, but it gives you a sense for the. Yes, I'm, I'm actually shocked. <laughs> it's, that's why I've never said anything yet. <laughs> Okay, well, <laughs> level of pain. It's funny because um, this is the status quo and people are, you know, status quo is very attractive, uh, to be honest, you know, and so and yet I think five years from now, we'll chuckle, just like you did to even yeah. imagine, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, I remember when I first started working, I didn't have a computer on my desk. and I have no idea what I did. Hmm. How can you how can you even work without a computer? And I think uh, five years from now, we're going to look at this and, and chuckle because it seems so obvious. Now, I'll give you an example of just how relevant and important it is to be able to uh, monitor environmentals on a real-time basis. Uh, environmentals meaning, you know, think in terms of temperature within the data suite, uh, humidity, uh, power consumption, et cetera. Um, October 14th, there was an outage in Singapore it was a Saturday. Uh, it affected two, uh, uh, I'm not going to name any names here, but it affected yeah. two banks in Singapore, uh, very large banks. It affected one's ATM machines, so no ATM activity for that day, and also both uh, banks' uh, credit cards. Uh, huge impact on number of transactions and everything else and shut down. What happened at this, it's one of the most dense, carrier-dense facilities in Singapore where this outage occurred, what happened is a contractor uh, was doing maintenance and took down a chiller unit. Um, and over time, and I don't have the details here, but call it four hours or so, the temperature increased within the data hall to a point where it then caused the outage with the servers. And I'm willing to bet We've seen similar scenarios. A similar scenario occurred years ago in New Jersey that took down the New York Stock Exchange. A chiller went down. Nobody notified the the uh, the telco that was managing the service, nor New York Stock Exchange. And four hours later, they were down. Now, four hours in terms of being able to migrate workload and uh, you know run up your your um, your your backup, etc., is eternity. Uh, in the IT world, it is a tremendous amount of time to be able to ensure that you're, you you minimize the impact. I'm willing to bet that the financial institutions had no idea the chiller had gone down, and they only found out they had an issue when their services actually went dark. And and this is a perfect example where if they had a real time monitoring system that they could access that could alert them. Uh, it would have made the difference. They would have had four hours to work a solution to minimize the impact on, frankly, the Singapore economy. Because, you know, one thing that's interesting is uh, we're reminded over and over again just how mission critical uh, the data center, the digital infrastructure platform is to, you know, the economy of the 21st century. And uh, uh, so I think that's just a wonderful example now, what's interesting is a lot of the industry has reacted that more investment should be put into uh, redundancy, building out redundancy and more resilient systems. Okay, maybe. I don't think necessarily 
that may be part of the answer, but mm -hmm. I think it's missing. I think it's missing the main point. And the main point is you should plan for outage. You should plan for outage and then you should be ready to respond to it and minimize the impact. The idea that you can go 100% uptime forever is nonsensical. Hmm. No, I mean, I, right, there's a lot to dissect <laughs> from what you said there. I mean, first of all, oh, I, am, I am a little sorry. bit shocked because there were so many pain points and, and it's true. Like we do not talk about um, those things and a lot of them, especially the security one you raised where people are bypassing firewalls to do the work they need. Uh, I mean, days, I haven't heard that before. And I, th I think there is a tremendous, it's not a good idea. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, and then I said, right. well, you think what you said about, uh, of course, the, 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 the SG monitoring and all that. Uh, I mean, in Europe, we're starting to see that now become more of a requirement, especially with the new regulations coming on boards. That's kind of being yeah. forced on operators. Uh, and I assume that's how things will change. It's going to be through regulation. Uh, and maybe you can say if you agree or not, but I think regulation is going to be the way forward. To, to really enforce these things but it, it's just from what you say it just sounds very disjointed um and i mean we we don't have to ex expect 10 data centers to talk to each other because we know they just want um that that's always going to be a challenge but the fact that so much stuff is still done manually there's so much spreadsheet going around so many just manual put together lists of people that can access the data center uh that, that that's all quite shocking i mean that's that's frankly <laughs> quite shocking uh, are you yeah. seeing that more with um, with legacy facilities with like brands that have been around for longer, or and then how do you how does that compare to the younger guys coming into the market? I mean, especially in Asia, because you have new brands popping up in every country, um, and they they are building infrastructure from it's there is a playbook, but they are rewriting the playbook. So are they following the same thing, or are the new guys now actually doing the job as it should be done? Yeah, in Asia, I'm not seeing it uh, mm -hmm. from a technology point of view. Uh, now I could be wrong and I could, I'll get emails after perhaps, uh, uh, telling me otherwise, but I have not seen it truly. Um, uh, there it's just, again, it's back to this real estate mindset. Um, that said on a global basis, we are seeing some organizations really take up the mantle of digital services and offering, you know, uh, very well considered APIs to their customers. Uh, that said, um, you know, one of the one of the beauties of carbon is it sits in the middle, and it's neutral. We are not a we are not a dedicated data center operator. We're not dedicated to any one data center operator. We're across the market, and so a customer of these data centers uses carbon and can access all of the data center operators in our ecosystem. Um, mm -hmm. And so they don't have to use many different portals. They don't have to write and maintain many different APIs if they're available, et cetera. That's all managed by Carbon. And so that's a real uh, benefit that, that Carbon brings is that neutrality that no one data center operator could offer. Yeah. I was going to ask, was it a, a hard sell when you approached um, the operators and stuff? And so was it was it a hard sell to, to get them to understand the concepts? Um, and then I guess how... how what what grabbed their attention? I mean, did you use for AI, for example? But I I, yeah. I think was it hard for them to understand this? Taking into account yeah. they've been doing the same model for so many years. Yeah. You know, absolutely not. It's 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 impressive. First, several reasons. One is their customers. We're talking to their customers, and their customers are requesting this carbon. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one. Two is uh, for those that are pretty sophisticated and have their own APIs. Uh, their customers are not only using their services. And so they kind of struggle to get their customers to write to those APIs 
because it doesn't solve the complete problem for the customers because they're using 10 other data center operators, right? Um, with Carbon, we enable that customer onboarding. And 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 they they are in in, in some cases the, the, the more sophisticated data center operators want more of their customers using their API because that automates their service and it allows them to improve the quality of service to their customers. Hmm. So, you know, if you, in, I, it was interesting, uh, in Q3 earnings calls, uh, one of the largest uh, data center operators uh, spent a lot of time talking about digital services and and looking at that as a, as a real area of profitability and growth, uh, you know, improved margins, let's put it, not just space and power, but digital services. Hmm. And as you think in terms of digital services, um, Things like carbon make a lot of sense in terms of en enabling their customers to get on board and and, and better better automate uh, their their interaction. Yeah, you know, uh, just a small side note. I mentioned I worked at VMware, and VMware came out. They were the first to virtualize compute, so basically abstract software away from the hardware, and to be able to basically use use hardware and uh, kind of manage it with the software layer. And so it started with compute, then it became network and storage, dot, 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 dot. We're now really talking about abstracting or virtualizing the physical data center, if that makes sense. And uh, and that's kind of the last, that's the last layer of the technology stack that needs to virtualize. Is it, am I wrong to say this is where serverless comes in as well, or am I mixing things up a little bit? It's, it's been a while since I last looked into server virtualizations and serverless computing and all that is is it uh is it around those themes well for carbon we're really just focused on the physical data center itself not the mm -hmm. not the compute storage network not those areas it's really around the physical you know the physical mm -hmm. data center itself yeah okay interesting um and then you, you mentioned because clients the the data the clients are asking for this uh and things are changing i was i just wanted to kind of take one little step back and then we'll go back to carbon how have you seen regulation kind of shift the conversation? Because we, we, we mentioned that one way forward would be regulations will come in and then people will be forced to do this one way or another. But we already have things coming into market and especially in Asia as well. Have you seen that speeding up the conversation around what you do? It's uh, are people now like, right, because this is coming now, we really have to look at this. We have to shift how we, we manage these things, how we monitor these things. Um, has regulation kind of helped a little bit? Have those things started to have a positive impact on the market? You know, I would say not yet. Okay. How's that? Yeah, not yet. Yeah. Uh, don't feel that. It's very interesting. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> yeah. Mostly where we where we feel it is from customers themselves. Think in terms of the the large hyperscalers and their requirements yeah. for data center operators. And, you know, in many cases, you know, in many cases, these large hyperscalers have their own APIs and they put in their RFP, you know, that they, uh, that the data center operator must in fact be able to use that API to engage with these big hyperscalers. So it gives you a sense. So, so that push and that drive is really coming from customers. Less so, in my opinion, from uh, from from governments at this point, especially in Asia. Yeah, I think okay, Europe is taking the lead there. Yeah, no, that's why I asked. I asked a little bit with an European view because we are going through a, a massive shift. I mean, even Germany, I think it was last week, they just approved um, that's right. the, the first direct data center legislation. Uh, and, and that's going to that's going to change the game, even around pulling data centers. Um, yep. Everyone, a lot of people will have to retrofit at this stage and really change things. 
uh, especially yeah. on monitoring. So that's just kind of trying to build a bridge there. But uh, it's, it's it's interesting to to hear uh, the yeah. age is still not there. Um, and, and this is I think is well, but this is I think is so many people in our sector sometimes look at the world as one. Uh, and what happens in North America is not what happens in Europe. What happens in Europe is not what happens in Asia. And I think that's also a mentality thing that needs to shift a little bit, because um, the the problems that we have in Europe is, I mean, some of them yes will be the same in Asia, but they are maybe they are not the priority problems uh, compared to to what we do here. So that that's that's very interesting. Uh, I was going to ask as well so if you can give us a bit more, open up the the carbon book a little bit more, and tell us what what what's the plan here? What what's the goal with the company? Where do you want to go with it? Um, and then maybe walk us through over the next 12, 24 months, what's uh, what's going to be launched, where what markets are going to be the focused on, uh, who's how many people are going to employ. Like talk us through the 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 journey, the timeline. Yeah. So we uh we success earlier this year, we success or sorry, was it this year? Yeah, earlier this year. I yeah. lose track. <laughs> November 2023, uh, yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I I'm with you on that one, to be honest. <laughs> Early this year, we raised, uh, we successfully raised five and a half million dollars in seed capital, um, which was a first for me. I'd never done it before. And that's part of the reason, frankly, I I, I took this journey with Robert, uh, my partner in crime. And uh, it was hard. I'll, I'll be, I'll be I honest. I can imagine. And we, uh, we hit it hard. And uh, frankly, Robert's a genius. He's phenomenal and, uh, and very gifted. Uh, but it was significantly harder than I expected, knowing it would be hard. So there you go. But nonetheless, we were successful and couldn't be more pleased with that. Um, we currently have either directly employed at Carbon or through uh, uh, organizations supporting us. We have about 20 plus uh, people at Carbon uh, working mostly in the development side. Um, yeah. And a few people in sales and uh, pre-sales support and whatnot, but uh, but mostly in development. And um, we we launched we're launching now um, our first very focused offering, which is around automating cross connects, physical cross connects. And okay. we're starting with that because uh, you know you talk to any carrier, any telco, and they have real issues. They're they're ordering a lot of cross connects and. It's all manual, and it's a bit of a nightmare in terms of managing that on a global basis. Uh, mm -hmm. We talked to one uh, kind of mid-sized, if you will, cloud service provider, and they they order ten cross connects an hour, every hour, every day, and uh, wow. in the world business <laughs> oh, somewhere in the world, yeah, and uh, and it's really it's really a nightmare uh, for them to manage, uh, as an example. But very quickly, we're then going to launch a much more in January, a, a more complete suite of environmentals, if you will, uh, monitoring tools and uh, information that uh, cu customers will be able to to use to, to monitor the environmentals uh, within their data halls. And then in March, we'll be launching DCEM, uh, which is basically the uh, uh, data center uh, invoice management uh, tool such that uh, expense data center expense management uh, tool such that uh, uh, customers can manage their expenses in their data centers. And it's something that, again, is all very manual and uh, and very time consuming for these guys. And so we're we're really bullish on actually we're bullish on all aspects of those those capabilities that we're bringing to the market. Um, hmm. At the same time, we're adding data center operators into the into the ecosystem. So we have uh, we have two today that cover a large percentage of the cross-connect market uh, globally, and we'll be adding 
uh, three and four more early next year. So number three and number four, which will give us about 50% coverage, believe it or not, um, uh, of the market, because these are really the, some of the big guys, uh, if you will, that we'll be adding to the ecosystem. And then after that, we'll just continue to, to add new data center operators uh, every quarter. In terms of, uh, you know, size of the business, I, you know, we're just now starting. And uh, obviously we have uh, serious ambitions for the business. Uh, but I think of it in addition to revenue and everything else, but more kind of impact. Um, and I think we have an opportunity to truly transform the industry in terms of the way it's operated and how customers engage with data centers. You know, it's a way using carbon, it's a way for these enterprises to basically, instead of having their own private data center where they have total control and transparency, Today, in a multi-tenanted data center environment, they don't have that level of transparency. We'll effectively be giving them a private data center experience in a multi-tenanted data center environment. So uh, it really changes the game for customers. Um, and then as you, I, I, Joe, you've kind of figured out, I can carry on a while. You feel free to interrupt, but you overlay AI. So everything CPU today, cloud CPU, you know, uh, we, we kind of retail, wholesale, all that, you know, we know the industry, but then you overlay that with AI and the requirements of AI uh, just go to another level in terms of performance requirements from data centers. And the absolute, it's absolutely essential that customers have access to real-time data uh, about the data center such that they can proactively monitor these workloads because the constraints you know, you can't error too much in terms of temperature and everything else. And so AI just adds another level of need uh, to the industry in our view in terms of automation. Yeah, no, I, I think what you're doing is very timely. And I think it's it's going to make doing business easier and it's probably a lot more cost savvy um, and, and, and error free <laughs> as well. Because if because yeah. humans make mistakes, it's as simple yeah. as that. It's uh, we make mistakes. You you don't sleep enough, and the next day you're going to make a mistake. It's it's like yeah. that. Machines won't do that. Uh, but I'll, I will I will go into AI in a second. But it was actually quite interesting because you said this was the first time you raised money um, yeah. for for reasons that you yourself went to market. I was, I was, talk us through your experience. You say it was very exciting and everything, but like what? How how was it? How did you work for you? What was your personal experience going through it? What did you think? Uh, were you like, oh, this is too complicated. I'm going to give up, and then you just carry on with it. Um, was how how was it from from your personal perspective? Well, uh, in one word, brutal. <laughs> <laughs> so, sounds like Silicon Valley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so we we talked to all type. We talked to everybody in the in the VC world, and uh, yeah. Uh, no. Uh, high net worth families, uh, high net worth individuals, uh, you know, people in the industry, et cetera, et cetera. And um, what's interesting is it, you could almost kind of bifurcate into two camps. Um, there were those that understood the data center industry to a certain degree. Uh, and so you could really dig in and you could have very meaningful discussions. Uh, and they kind of, they kind of got it uh, pretty quickly. And, and there were those that, you know, you, you couldn't, properly explain what a data center was <laughs> and uh, we go through that sometimes yeah <laughs> yeah and you and you really start from scratch and uh and i'm not sure that you ever uh actually create understanding you know in terms of what we're trying to do and uh and so it was it proved to be a marathon and th the finish line kind of just kept moving out also of course you know the 
the environment, the macro environment, which we don't control, obviously, but changed mm -hmm. quite sub substantially in the VC world. And uh, with interest rates, cost of capital going up and kind of VCs rethinking their portfolio and, and, and the markets getting hit and everything else, our timing was probably about as bad as it could be from a, from a <laughs> which is always, one must assume that will be the case. Um, yeah. But, yeah. uh, but what, 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 what happened is uh, for starters, you know, I mentioned Robert, but I've got an absolutely uh, wonderful partner um, and he is brilliant and he is high energy and uh uh, you know, I get a lot of pleasure working with him. And so despite the, the challenges, uh, we just, we just kept going. So, mm. yeah, you know, in Japan, okay, I'll give you another one. This is a Japanese saying is uh, fall down seven times, get up eight. I like that. There it's, you go. Uh, and it, and he's always about the getting back up. It's because yep. um, the world will throw you down. I mean, you will fall at some point, but then it's how do you get up and, and getting up and going back at, back at it again, like not giving up. Um, and, and that's actually, it's where most businesses fail. Uh, and I think it's 90% of the 90% of business fail within the first two, three years because people give up. They, they don't yeah. go at it for long enough. They don't, um, they don't have the drive to carry on even when things don't go right. And it's just, again, it's all about adaptability as well, in my view. Yeah. Um, it's because uh, sometimes you might start with an idea and that's probably not what the market needs at that point. And you just got to shift it slightly. And sometimes it's slightly, um a slight adaptation that will make the whole difference and create a whole new new path for the company so that, that, that's quite exciting yeah but, um, it, it's funny that you say it was probably the, the, the worst time <laughs> to go to market and uh, i mean yeah we don't we don't control what's happening in the world and uh, it's still we still have another 12 months probably of hard times ahead uh in that side but uh, we're also very lucky to be in an industry uh, that keeps growing even when the world is a bit not in the best state amazingly lucky you know <clears throat> so i so I, I really, I mentioned this, but I really enjoyed working at Digital Realty mm. and, and contri contributing in my way to, you know, helping build that platform in Asia with just a terrific team. And, you know, I quite literally cried when I was leaving, um, you know, because I, I, I'm typically kind of an emotional person and, uh, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, but this was something I had to do. Um, and it's an opportunity for Robert and I to make a contribution and make a difference uh, in a new way. And uh, we are extremely committed uh, to a successful to a successful business here because I think I think it's going to matter. I think it matters. Mm. Yeah. So absolutely doesn't mean anything related to to sustainability even. Um, yeah. And everything that you do, it does actually very easily has a sustainable link. Yep. Um, attached to it so anything related to sustainability say i mean let's say saving the planet is extremely important for not just for the present generation but for the future generation so it, it does matter um that, yep. that's the thing but i know i know we're coming up to to the end um and i mean i could talk to you the entire day because there's so much to talk <laughs> your front, yeah, your, your, yeah. front of, your, your source of knowledge but i just wanted to like two final questions but the, the one of them will be around ai because we've we touched on it but we haven't really spoken much about it and I mean, it's the it's the hype word. It's the it's the the, the key word of 2023 is AI. I think it's when it became mainstream. It's been around for 50 years, but this year is like when the world discovered AI. Uh, what's your view of AI and how is that going to impact the distance markets, um, especially within Asia? Um, not not so much on the demand. We know demand is going to come, and people will have to build facilities. But it's more around like how are we going to be able to cope this? What pressures is it going to create? 
for um, for the market size is the investment going to be easy to get is the um, are the legacy facilities going to be easy to to manage is the retrofitting going to be really hard um and then how how do you fit the new mo monitoring tools because we won't be able to to grow a hundred times a hundred times over uh, and do things manually like we've been talking about for this conversation it really that's when we really really need automated tools so just give us a spill um, of what your thoughts are around the what's happening and what's going to come because what's happening right now is not even <laughs> it's just a grain in the sand of what's coming yes <clears throat> so one key theme even while i was at digital realty but it's even more true now is we're even as an industry we're constantly underestimating demand so we don't need to talk too much about kind of that whole growth story because we've heard it all so much but i think uh whatever you think it is it's going to be more how do you like that so uh so that that that's kind of one and i think it's the 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 cloud or the 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 current call it the cpu platform uh will continue to grow i mean we're seeing that grow growth decelerate somewhat uh but it is off a very large base and it's going to continue um so call that the cpu platform business as usual if you will is a tremendously high growth area you know i'll give you just to make the point um hyper hyperscale cloud revenue in asia pacific excluding china because one of the things is often apac numbers china's included and frankly it it's so big china it throws everything off and uh uh so many of mo many of the players are non-china players and so it's kind of apples and oranges if you will so apac x china is will be over the next five years the fastest growing uh revenue base for these hyperscalers for their business three three point nine times over the next five years uh to about 140 billion in revenues so that's asia pacific x china hyperscale cloud revenue growth so you know, I think that's an outstanding lead indicator for the data center industry, and that's the CPU platform. So that's one. AI overlay. I think uh, I think we're underestimating the impact that that AI is going to have on our lives, on ourselves individually, on our businesses, and on the data center industry. How's that? I think we're really underestimating it because I think it is a tsunami. I think it is. I think it is huge i mean you look at uh, satya nadella and the the uh, work that they're doing with open ai and integrating uh, ai into all of their applications and how that is just going to be absolutely transformational in terms of how humans engage with technology it's going to completely change the game okay so so gpu uh, gpu as a service gpu platforms data centers designed to support you know gpus or or call it ai ready Native high density, uh, native high density data centers uh, will be essential, and these will be built for purpose. Um, they will be designed for GPUs. They will be AI ready. Um, it will not be. Yes, you can retrofit, but that's that's not a solution to the demand that is coming, um, without question. In my in my opinion, um, and so, and what does that require? Power densities go way up, as we know, 10 plus times. Um, that requires a, a, a rethink in terms of data center design, uh, a rethink in terms of cooling, uh, water usage, everything else. Uh, and also, uh, you know, the industry struggles with, we, we talk a lot about being green uh, as an industry, and yet 
you know, the reality is uh, access to renewable power is is sometimes outside of our control. And so there needs to be, we're a large consumer of power, but, you know, driving that initiative and supporting uh, uh, renewable growth is super important. And in Asia, depending on the market, Asia is such a large place. It really depends on the market. You know, Australia, India are doing pretty well on renewables, but many other markets are, are behind the curve. Um, and so accessing power to begin with is a real constraint. You overlay that with just the power density requirements, the additional power requirements that GPUs are going to require. Uh, that becomes a real challenge for the industry, uh, in my opinion. And, uh, and it's not exactly clear how the industry is going to solve that. Um, the design piece, I think, is extremely important. Um, retrofit uh, just solves on the margins. I think you're going to see new uh, data center platforms coming to market uh, that are uh, native high-density uh, AI-ready platforms uh, that become larger than, than many of the largest incumbents today. Mm. I think it changes the game. So, so there you go. Yeah, it was funny because as you were talking, I received an email, which is the, the one year of chat GPT, the good, the bad and the ugly. Um, oh, wow. it, it could have been Very more well. timely. It was literally as you start talking about AI. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. the, the thing that kind of triggered the, the world to, to know or to at least get to, to, to grasp with AI. With AI. Um, I, I think what you what you said is quite true. We, I don't think we truly understand the impact of AI yet. Um, no. I don't think we, we can imagine even the applications that will come. Um, I think there'll be so much new stuff we, we just don't know. And I, I think on the retrofitting side, um, yeah, it's probably like a, it's a short time solution for a, for a very long run that we're going to have. Um, so it's, it's yeah, there'll be some bandages around, but it won't be fit for purpose. Um, on the energy front, I agree as well. I think the energy guys have been left out of the conversation for a very long time. Uh, and that is something actually even as we are trying to bring them into the conversations more, into the events more. Um, yep. to 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 help bridge that cap because I mean if you don't go to a to a, to a grid operator and say like look we want to build this we need to get ten gigawatts they're yep. never going to they're not sitting around waiting for someone to come and and use ten gigawatts because there's also a capex for them and an opex for them if it's going to sit there no one's going to use it uh, yep. and unfortunately most countries are not like Canada or Norway that has a lot of energy <laughs> they can just yep. produce it um, yep. so yeah no absolutely and the design is amazing I mean I was at a conference a few weeks ago um, with structural research in Toronto. And um, one of the main things that came out of it was I did not realize how fast people are having to design, uh, redesign mm -hmm. the designs, because we we heard that Meta was kind of going back to the drawing board. It's not canceling, it's about redesigning, preparing the data center for AI. We've heard about that, but I didn't realize how much there was happening within the, the collocation layer of, yeah. the, of the industry. And it's, it's a, it's a six-month thing. Uh, I mean, I hosted a webinar yesterday as well. Um, and if you haven't broken ground, you have to change your design every six months. So you better background within those six months, otherwise you're going to have to redesign it. And then once it's built, it's every two, three years, you're going to have to do some shifting. So it's all about building enough flexible buildings. And then the data yeah. center within the building, within the shell can can change yeah. and adapt. Flexible modular approach mm -hmm. that you, you can offer optionality uh, to your customers. Yeah. Operationality, <laughs> I like that. Yeah, is um, essential. Yeah, very important. Either. So, but Mark, so I know we I've taken so much of your time. And again, I could be talking to you like for, for days now. But uh, last question to ask everyone is uh, what's your favorite quote by who and why? Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> this is this is easy for me. This is the easiest question you've 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 offered up tonight. Um, my uh, so growing up, my mom had a poster in the kitchen um, and that poster was a quote. 
from Helen Keller. It was life is either a daring adventure or nothing. Helen Keller. And I looked at that poster every day for 10 years. And I'll tell you, you ask my kids and they will quote that to you because I, it had a very big impact on me. And uh, I think, uh, uh, yeah, it kind of sums it up really. You know, life is either a daring adventure or nothing. Um, uh, I, I love thinking of it that way. And uh, what an incredible woman as well. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more um because and i always have the thing if you get too comfortable with something then you've lost that appetite you've lost that adventure um yeah. you're just going to sell and you're going to be part of the herd uh, yeah. essentially so yeah. I, actually both of those things they do fit quite well um yeah. in, in that sense uh, yeah. but uh yeah no I, I'm, I'm amazed by, by by the quotes that people choose and i think that's another very good one um to yeah. bring up to the table but uh, mark smith co-founder and executive chairman of carbon technologies Thanks so much for talking to me. I thought this was very insightful and uh, I can't wait to see what, what you're going to be doing. <laughs> Joe, the pleasure was mine. It was really, really enjoyable. And I uh, look forward to seeing you at PTC in Honolulu. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. And don't forget to review and share this episode and follow the Great Business Minds podcast on all your favorite streaming and social media platforms. You can find the links in the podcast description. Thank you again to our sponsor, Prescott & Co., a leading award-winning City of London law firm internationally recognized for its expertise in the digital infrastructure industry, as well as the telecoms and tech sector more broadly. Feel free to reach out to them at www.prescott.com. Do subscribe to the podcast, and we invite you back again for the next episode of the definitive show for the business of digital infrastructure, the Great Business Minds podcast. See you then.